Welcome to Hot Seating, the drama education podcast with myself, Avian Finnegan. In this podcast, we interview well-known drama practitioners and community artists. We reflect on their drama experiences through the lens of the drama strategies. Like you define the space within your classroom, we are defining the space for conversations about drama in education, not just in Ireland, but all over the world. This is a podcast brought to you by the Association of Drama in Education in Ireland, also known as the ADEI. In this episode of Hot Seating by the ADEI, I'm joined in the hot seat by Michael Finneran. Michael is a senior lecturer and founding head of the Department of Drama and Theatre Studies at Mary Immaculate College in the University of Limerick, Ireland. His research interests lie in the meaning-making, educative and pro-social possibilities of the arts, particularly drama and theatre, and he locates his work in an interdisciplinary space between the humanities and education. Michael is a self-termed dramatic chameleon, a title which I will definitely be borrowing. Michael is striving for a better awareness of why the arts are typically regarded as secondary to the more mainstream and, in inverted commas, important discourses. Something that is at the heart of many discussions we have at the ADEI. So pour yourself a cup of tea, sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Michael Finneran. Michael Finneran. Thank you for joining me in the hot seat today. It's lovely to speak to you and to see you, um, not exactly in the flesh, but uh, through the internet. Um, I hope you're well. I am indeed, Eden, and thank you for the, the honour and privilege of, of joining you today. I'm in flying form. It is about 23 degrees in Limerick and um, very sunny and warm, and the academic year is beginning to wind its way to a close. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm in chatty form. Here in good form, so that's brilliant. Yeah, it's a bit hotter than that here in Toronto. It's 27 degrees here today. And uh, yeah, I've had to turn off the air con for this uh, so that it wouldn't interfere with the sound. So hopefully I won't melt. Uh, that's a uh, fingers hopefully crossed. Not. Hopefully not, definitely. So Michael, you're one of those people that um, the rest of the ADEI committee said to me, you have to speak to Michael Finneran. Um, you know, I think you've definitely uh, gouged out a niche for yourself um, in the in the drama education and theatre uh, world, uh, both in Ireland and globally. Um, so I'm really, really excited to speak to you today uh, about many, many, many things. So will we start off with your first memory of drama? What is your still image? My still image? Well, first of all, let me say I'm so pleased to, to have, you know, ADI holds a very, very dear uh, spot in my heart because I was one of the founder members with Carmel and with many others back in the day. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving the chances I sent to you by email to, 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 to bring the circle whole again. Um, my still images, I actually, I was thinking about this um, earlier on. I have three very, very small ones. I'm allowed to do three very small ones. Of course ones, you, you can do whatever you want, Michael. I have a really vivid image in the corridor um, with cork tiles in my parents' home in, in Roscommon, um, just outside Castlery, of doing a puppet show with my siblings when I was, I don't know what age, but it was from the Childcraft books. So any people of a certain vintage, I'm in my mid forties, will remember Childcraft books. And you, you toilet hold, um, toilet roll holders, you know, you can imagine the kind of finger puppets that it was, but we actually built a little puppet theatre and performed and put on a show for mum and dad. So I, I remember that vividly. I, I went to an all boys secondary school, which wouldn't have been uncommon in the time I went to St. Nathie's in Balladrine, which had a very strong, I suppose, academic and sporting focus. 
but not no real provision for the arts. But an amazing teacher in 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 Fergalga, a woman called uh, Banda Burka, uh, Rini Banda Burka, and and she was ahead of her time because she used to use drama methodologies in her language classrooms for Irish and for French role playing, engaging, and she went into role herself. I didn't know what it was at the time, but of course I recognised those methodologies since then. And then in year first year in Pats, I, I still didn't really know that I was interested in drama, um, but I was a first year B.Ed., a somewhat reluctant B.Ed. I missed medicine by five points and ended up teaching because that's what my mom did. Um, and uh, I know you. I know you've you've medicine in the family, so you're probably kind of going wise decision in some respects. I think so. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was walking. I was I was living in the halls of residence. I was living in Glen for any of the, your listeners who who know um, St. Pat's Glendalough. And took a little walk uh, one night with some of my friends up to the library. And I think it was purely for social purposes. I don't think we had any intention of doing any work, kind of scouting around the place. And a head appeared out the auditorium door in St. Pat's. And it was a friend, a woman called Sinead, who I knew from, from, from residence. And she said, come here, are you, will you give us a hand? We need a hand shifting scenery. And uh, I ended up on the stage crew for um, a production of Dion Busico's Colleen Bawn. That was being directed by Peter O'Driscoll, who, you know, again, many of your listeners will remember from their time in Pats and Peter, a wonderful advocate and, and proponent of, of drama and education in Ireland, now, now retired. So they're my three little still images. When I think to my genesis, they're the three little flashes that, that pop up in my head. So it seems like it's a little bit of a breadcrumb trail for you then, Michael. Let's let's bring it back to the first one where you were saying you were doing a little puppet show with your siblings. And I, I have memories very similar to that. Uh, I don't know if it's a West of Ireland thing or if it's a, a worldwide thing. I imagine it's more, more of a worldwide thing. So you're, you, do you have many siblings, Michael? I have I have two two brothers and a sister, all of whom have respectable jobs. Uh, so none of them are involved in, in the arts? No, none of whom. No, there's a there's a barrister and and a hedge fund accountant and a, and an engineer and 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 they're all very very tolerant of uh, of my uh, my 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 slightly mad ways. I'm married to an actor as well, so you know we 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 spend our lives around theatres and making work and so on and so forth. And they're they 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 all nod and smile and support and come to all our shows and and so on and so forth. But I I I I do know that it remains a mystery to them in some respects. Yeah, it it does definitely to some people. Um. I was actually reading one of your research papers recently and um, in preparation, I just wanted to delve deep into the psyche of Michael. And I, I noticed that one of the, um, you, you mentioned statistics of the, the very few number of people that attend the theatre. And that mm. really, it was, was a 45% of people are, mm. I, I was absolutely shocked by by how low that number was and, and the demographic. And Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. And I, I think, Look, we'll probably get into this later on even, but I think where my interests are at now is trying to understand the key for me to, in terms of under, un, unlocking why drama uh, works and doesn't work in our schools in some respects is, is, is actually unlocking why drama works and doesn't work in our society and where it sits within, within our society. Um, and, 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 and our attitude, our societal attitude towards the arts and towards theatre particularly really, really intrigues me because... You know, look, you're a psycho woman, and I'm I'm a psycho woman. Look, we're we're you know we're, we're we grew up in communities. I'm guessing, as did many of the listeners, where there was probably a lot of 
uh, school performances where there might have been ran boys. They were part of my youth, where there was bonfires at the crossroads when, when our local GA team won an intermediate championship, where there was lots and lots of performativity, where there was traditional sessions. My, my granddad, when he was still alive, used to go from one house to the other. He was always rambling, um, was the term called for it. But, you know, we're, we my mom was teaching when we were young and we had Nana was her name. Mrs. Marin was our housekeeper. And she used to sit us down and I have vivid memories of this and telling stories. And I suppose what we call Shkeliuk or Shanaki um, kind of type of material. But where I'm getting to in all of this is that we have this really ambivalent relationship towards the arts, possibly it's a hypothesis, but possibly because they're so ubiquitous or were so ubiquitous in Irish society. I, I referred to it in a paper I gave years ago as, as the limestone effect, whereby we almost think that the, the limestone, which is obviously the underlying rock for most of the island, um, kind of begets artists almost. It brews them and, 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 and brews the arts in all of our lives. And, and as a result of which, we don't have to educate for the arts or through the arts or in the arts, and we don't have to invest in artists. So I think where my life's mission is at now is, is in terms of figuring out this really complex and mysterious relationship that Ireland has with drama. And that's a very long-winded way of answering your question, but, um, but I, I think it's very, related. It is very much related. It's very interesting. And it is, I feel like it is ingrained in us and very much woven into to our makeup um, as a society. Um, yeah, it is. And, and, and I think, you know, I've had the, the huge privilege in my life of, of, of being in a position to, to travel a lot and to visit other cultures. And I know you're obviously living abroad at the moment as well. And, and it's only when you see kind of it, these are generalizations and stereotypes. But when you when when as an Irish person, you're abroad and you see other Irish people abroad, that there is a performative aspect um, to our, our, our kind of cultural makeup that is just not present in other countries. Mm. And and, and I'm, I, I wonder why that is. What, what is the socio-cultural reason for that? And, and is that a really, really good thing or a really, really bad thing in terms of what we ultimately want to do, which is to bring the arts to the lives of more young people in and around and through our school system? Mm. I, I know, and it's funny because I, I know we don't, we don't want to get too accelerated in the conversation too soon, but um, it is, it's a huge interest to me about f- why it is that maybe it's not being taught in schools at the moment. Mm. And like, I just don't, I personally don't understand it. I mean, you went to Pats, as you said, and your first, one of your memories there was, was that that time when you were pulled in to do some, mm. some behind the scenes work. Um, and then at that time, then what was the value that was placed on drama education as in, as in it from, I know it was only introduced as a subject in 1999, but prior to that, what was the experience like in college? Well, it was, you know, it, it, it was very present. And I'll be honest with you, even when, when the 99 curriculum came out, look, we, we knew this. We were presented with the two orange books. Again, listeners will find them in the libraries now. But the 71 curriculum, we were given those a hard copy. I think most of us used them to keep our bedroom doors open or to keep our beds level. Because <laughs> um, the curriculum was not really a living document in our, in our teacher education at the time. So the 99 curriculum and the vibrancy it beget um, was a huge surprise. But 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 drama was actually really present on my Ed and Pats. And I, I didn't think that drama had any lesser status. I didn't feel that it had any lesser status than art um, or history or geography or early childhood education. In fact, it had a much more prominent status and standing than, than, than areas like science, which were really only in their infancy, science education. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were lucky because, you know, a man I probably don't give enough credit to is a man I mentioned earlier on in terms of Peter O'Driscoll. And Peter was the eponymous uh, head of drama uh, it, 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 and, I, and what I mean by that is that 
He was a passionate advocate for drama and education, but he also facilitated huge amounts of masterclasses. That's, I first got to know Jonathan Neelands when he came to do a masterclass when I was a third year elective student. Um, but, you know, Peter brought us out to schools. We did a TIE project, I remember, in, in, in our third year elective and went over to, um, to, to a number of schools in Glasnevin and performed that and had, you know, through that a different way of being in classrooms as a result of it. But also Peter did productions and he did productions with us. He produced uh, song con uh, contests, you know, directed plays. When, when myself and a few friends wanted to put on a, a musical, um, you know, Peter facilitated all of that and ended up as, as, as conductor, if memory serves me correctly, and then used, you know, so I, found us work. So I, I ended up working as a, as a tech because I was quite handy on lighting and sound on shows that were in the auditorium. And I remember going out to a secondary school, I have a vivid memory of going out to a secondary school in Navin with him, and he was directing a school show and, and working with him out there. So this hugely multifaceted understanding of what drama was driven by wonderful charisma and a huge personal energy on the part of, of a teacher, which has always reminded me of, of you know, uh, you know, that, that old adage that, you know, teachers really uh, and, and how we teach influences so much along with what we actually teach. But yeah, 100%. But, yeah, yeah. I, I and, very and, Park, and Parker Palmer's, you know, I'm sure, again, many people have come across Parker Palmer, the, the writer, um, who writes about, about teaching and education, you know, we teach who we are. And these were Peter's very firm personal beliefs with regard to what I realise in retrospect, or in hindsight, I should say, with regard to what drama should be, that it should be lived, it should be engaging, it should be multifaceted, it should be not singular in any way, shape or form, and it should be present and alive and vibrant. And I think those traits have, have kind of remained with me in the 25 years since then. So when you were a young a young kid then you you mentioned about you know these kind of uh I suppose elements of play and, and improvised drama at home but did you have any formalized drama experience at all no 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 fetches no, no uh, for you no fetches no none at all I, I I did piano um my the three eldest in my family were boys so I think my mother was determined that we would have a some bit of culture and um, growing up in a very rural <laughs> part of Roscommon that along with GA and uh, Gaelic football and handball we, we we were brought to piano lessons and I've always been really glad for that because um uh, you know as a result I, I I can sight read scores and I've directed operas and I've directed musicals and I wouldn't yeah. have been able to do that if I didn't have my piano that man dragged me to um <laughs> but, uh, and Mrs and Dolan and Castlery who, who was fond of a ruler on the fingers when 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 we were a bit the way they were oh my goodness <laughs> very similar <laughs> memories for, for those kind of things and but no so no drama at all even no there was no drama it was just not present and it um and I, I remember going to see a play in the Hawkswell in Sligo and um, Plowing the Stars when I was in Leaving Cert and I remember going to see um the musical society in Castlery doing Sound of Music or something like that and they're my only two kind of performance memories until I got to college and then when you were in college, then you started doing the, the kind of more backstage stuff, seeing like lights and sound and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I realised pretty quickly uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm not a performer. <laughs> uh, 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 something that has been driven home time and time and time again. So yeah, I, I was really intrigued by the tech side of things. I was really intrigued by lighting, by sound. And I still, I still to this day, I still design a lot of lighting for, for shows. I'm, I, love, I love the design element of, of theatre. Um, and and uh, yeah, and, and teaching it. And, and there were the two things. So and, and, you know, a false dichotomy emerged at, at one stage um, for me in some respects, where, whereby they, they almost fell into different aspects of my being. And it, it, it took until I, I did my master's in Warwick before I, I began to reunify them again. But this, this idea that what we do in classrooms is somehow removed and different to what we do in theatres and, and in theatre rehearsal halls, I think probably began to develop in me because I, I struggled for a long time to see what I did as a primary school teacher related to what I might do in the evenings with Tops of the Town when I used to work 
casually backstage in the gate and the gaiety and stuff like that. And I never really unified those for, for a long time. And this is what intrigues me about you, Michael, because I think there are so many other people in, in similar situations, like myself, definitely as well. Like I'm mm. a primary school teacher and I have a drama, had drama school and like that, an actor and an, all sorts of things in the spare time. But it's that marrying the two. Was there ever a time um, where you were you worried that you were being perceived as overstretched or how did you feel that balance was, I suppose, perceived by other people as well, you know? Well, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've struggled with that one all my, all my career and all my professional life in some respects. And um, the overstretching, I, I, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. I love, I love drama theatre in, in all shapes and forms. I, um, so I do tend to take on too much of it and, and voluntarily overstretch. But I, I, I note in people sometimes a, a little bit of a frustration that they can't pin me down to a thing because I'm not just the drama education practitioner or the applied theatre practitioner or the board member or the theatre tech, I, I, I jump around all of these things. And I think our inclination, I don't wish to be unkind, but I think our inclination as humans is ten, sometimes to box people up. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you a very, yeah, exactly. And, and oh, well, she's a, she's a thing and that's what she does. Yeah. And he's a thing and that's what he does. But I'll, 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 I'll certainly, I can, I can give you a whole pile of examples, but I, one that's really, really vivid was actually, I, I mentioned that I did my MA at Warwick um, with, um, I was really blessed. I got to work with, Jonathan Neelands and Joe Winston and Ken Robinson um, were my, my, my tutors. So talk about a powerhouse of, 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 of lectures. It was an incredible, an incredible time. But um, we, I, you know, I, 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 I'd been working for a while in Dublin. I had a little bit of money and of course, didn't want to be asking my parents for money. So I didn't have a massive amount of money as most postgrads don't. So I took a job in the Warwick Arts Centre. So Warwick has a huge performing arts centre on campus and I got work as a casual technician. And our regular kind of rota would be, you know, we might be called in for a 6 a.m. shift and you might load up a show into the theater or into the concert hall or whatever it might be. And then you would be you'd be you'd be let go for maybe nine or 10 or 11 and you could go off and you'd go, go to your lectures and seminars and then you might come back at 10 or 11 at night and do the get out. You, know, you, you can imagine how that would work, but you, you had a walkie talkie and you were on standby. So that in theory, you might get called back into the venue. So, so I was in a I was in a very profound drama education workshop, process drama, drama education, whatever whatever you want to call it, with with Neilans one day, and we were all deep in roll, and my walkie talkie was in my bag in my corner, and the next thing it goes, you know, whatever my code was, two, three, four, nine, Finneran, pick up please, um, call back please, call back please, and it kept going off for ages, and he took me aside at the break and he said. Man, you have to figure out what you're what you're, what you're doing here. Are you are you doing your MA or are you working over there? What's what's going on? You know, and I remember remember thinking to myself, but it's it's drama. It's all theatre. It's just different parts. It's the of same. It. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that is a, a very good example of that. And I think that's something we all struggle with. That these sometimes, if you have too many skills, it's perceived as a negative thing, and it's like people do want to pour you into a box. But we'll get more into that a little bit later on. I'd love to know what your teacher in role moment was, a standout drama moment for you. Um, and because you've quite a, a varied background now, this could be as a university lecturer, could be through, through a workshop, it could be as a as a teacher, could be a, as a tech. A, Anything that that really would stand out for you? Well, funny when I, when I, when I when I when I saw your prompt and you kindly sent me on a, a couple of things to think about. Um, I thought teacher and role moment is actually a teacher and role moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the, the one I've one I've chosen for this evening is actually it's it's one of the one of the things I think that has bedeviled us as 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 a community, but also blessed us, 
is that we've had this really rich tradition of master practitioners. Um, so, you know, we, we've had the, the, the Dorothy Heathcote's obviously and, and the David Booths and the Jonathan Neelands. And I, I had the great privilege, um, you know, Dorothy and David have, have sadly passed, um, but I had the great privilege of, of being in all their workshops at various times or another. And they literally, they were such expert teachers that they wove a, 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 a spell. It was, it was like there was magic in the air. And I, I, I never regarded myself as being a hugely exemplary teacher in any respect. Um, um, and then towards the end of that MA, Neelan started bringing us out to schools um, and, and encouraging us to teach. And he would offer some feedback in our teaching. And I, I did a lesson for him in, a, in a, an English secondary school um, in, in Warwick, actually, Warwick Town. And um, it was loosely modeled on one of his own kind of templates. And I taught it for him and, and, and he said it was amazing. And I knew in the moment that the kids were with me, you know, when, you know, when it's going well and, and you're in role and, and they're, they're with you in that fictional frame that, you know, that there's no, there's no ambiguity. They're not gazing out the window. They're not thinking about lunch boxes. They're, they're there. I knew it. And, and he knew it as well. So that was a moment um, of, what, of real validation for me, you know. What was um, the context there? What, what were you? Do you remember what the? It was a, it was a, a drama workshop that I, I don't get a chance to teach a whole lot now, but it's it, it was one. It was based on an old Chinese tale. Um, again, some of your listeners may know it, and it was based on a, a, a story from a village, where um, the, the whole premise and the tension that drives this this piece is that when when people when citizens reach the age of seventy, they're 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 taken into the mountain and they're left because the village only generates enough food to sustain the, the kind of younger people. And so this is, the, this is the rule. And this is a law of the Lord who lives in the castle and of course who has plenty. So it's all about injustice. It's all about, do we rebel? Do we protect our older people? How do we, how do, you know, you can imagine what the themes are. It's really rich. And, and there are multiple entry points as a teacher and role as well, because you can play the old woman who's about to go to the mountain. You can play her son. You can play the Lord in the castle. You can play the, the rebellious friends in the village and so on and so forth. It's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece of drama. And I've long since given it my own multiple twists over the years. Um, but the, the second point, the, 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 the kind of rider to the story is that when I, when I got my job in Limerick then first, I thought, will this work in an Irish context? Will this work with kind of quite sometimes cynical, shall we say, be ed students who are kind of coming in, who are high achievers academically and who are really sometimes can be a little bit frustrated with doing this drama thing and, you know, that it's not often seen as real learning and so on and so forth. And it worked again. And I thought, OK, I, I can do this. I, I can teach this stuff and I can hold them and, and hopefully maybe change some of their thinking with regard to where and how drama sits within their pedagogy. And this is the thing, Michael, like, I went through the, the B.Ed. process in Freble. Um, I was lectured by Una McCabe and mm. I can I, you know, I could see that the students in my class were engaged. I could see that they were there. They were present. They were getting they were loving it. Mm. And then now, you know, I'm many years out of um, college. I ask my friends, I ask or my colleagues and I say, like, you know, what it, what it, what's happening in your classroom in terms of drama education? And there's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot happening. But I I have firsthand witnessed that they were engaged during the BA process. So yeah. what's happening in that gap? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really potent question, even. And I'm not going to simplify it by giving you a straight answer. I think um, I have a PhD student who's a, a teacher here in Limerick, um, a wonderful woman called Laura McEntee. Laura teaches in the Moskal, which is the model school on Con Avenue in Limerick. And Laura is doing a PhD, her PhD on exactly this topic, 
is you know essentially why why are some primary school teachers in Ireland believers and others just not in terms of, of drama in their classrooms sorry that's my that's dog. dog that's my dog having a little shake he's been asleep <laughs> under my feet oh um but uh, you know I think Laura's research would point to the fact that confidence is certainly a huge part of it you know and um and again this is part of you know here 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 dare I say it are you and I too confident loquacious kind of chatty drama teachers who are well able to espouse what it is that they do and how, how they might do it and and I, and I think a lot of people we you know and we've all come through this system where we've had really powerful influential drama lectures there's some incredible drama lectures across the island of Ireland and and I think sometimes this it almost inhibits our students and they think I can never teach like that or I can never be at, like Evan was or like Michael is or, or like Peter was or whatever it might be I, I don't know I, I, 20 years in the business I still haven't figured out the answer to this question but I want to yeah me too I, I yeah. saw that PhD student actually uh, listed on the website I'm very much intrigued to see what the result of that she's great uh, she's super she's she's um, she's hopefully going to finish in the next year and I think her study will be really informative for for all of us in Ireland actually you know we'll have to link back in with that so yeah. we've mentioned many influences that you've had um over the over the the years but is there one standout role on the wall person that was your um your your main influence or was that Peter who you mentioned earlier I suppose Peter initially uh, but actually Peter making sense of Peter's influence on me has been more laterally if that makes sense at the time it was undoubtedly Neilands um you know as I say Peter brought him over he did a, a weekend workshop for the elective students um in drama on the B.Ed. and I spent two days, again, many of your listeners who went through Pats will know, I'm not sure if it's still in use as a drama room, but it was a kind of a wood panel drama room. Uh, Manny's the ADI workshop I attended there as well, just off the, the old quadrangle in, in the D building. And uh, Neilan's camped, you know, set up camp in there for two days and just brought us on a journey that I had, I had never encountered before in my entire life. I can't remember what the piece is. I must ask him sometime. I can't remember who was there. All I can remember thinking is, this is radically, utterly, profoundly different to any other educational experience in my life. And I'm learning. I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about the woman beside me. I'm learning about whatever the topic was. I'm learning about all of these things. And it, it, it right there and then, that weekend in my third year, changed my career. Wow. So it yeah. really was a pinpoint aha moment. It, it, absolutely. And, and again, anyone who's had the fortune to, to see Neil and Steve jump and teach, will know that he has that he has that charisma he has that ability as a master teacher and he has that um incredible you know many have it you know Cecily who has become a friend of mine over the years as well uh, you know has similar skills and, and can just weave this this magical moment um but it just so happened that Neilan's kind of fell in my direction so um I, I went out into school I taught in in, in school work on small um in 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 Chicor, the Oblitz as it's known to any, anyone who, who knows the Oblitz on Turconnell Road in Chicor, taught there for a couple of years and and um, but and I was kind of gigging in Dublin all the time. I was, I was doing stage management and lighting and stuff like that. But after a year or two, I suppose, as many young teachers do, I thought to myself, I, I want to know a little bit more about this business that I'm doing. And drama education is the way to do it. So I, I searched out and, and found kind of pre-internet days or maybe just early internet days, found the MA at Warwick and packed my bags and headed over there and, and spent the year working with Neilands, not knowing that it would lead to many more years after that. So how long did you actually live and work for? Oh, I was only there for a year even. Yeah, I just yeah. it was a one year, one year and taught then, MA. And then you did your PhD, though, through work as well. So yeah, I was... did. So it really kind of, um, again, I was shown an incredible act of generosity. But um, my MA, there were, I think there were six or seven of us on the MA at the time, um, including a woman called, a really strong Irish connection. So um, Molly 
um, was from Belfast and uh, Northern Irish. I can't remember her surname now. And we were good friends. She was a much uh, much older student. And then one of my best buddies was a woman called Alice um, O'Grady, who is of Mayo parentage. And Alice is now professor of performance studies at Leeds universities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still we're still good friends. But um, yeah, Jonathan and Joe were were coming over. Um, Emily Fitzgibbon organized a wonderful conference in uh, Cork, Emily and, and Cecily in UCC in 1998. And it was, the, it, was, it was kind of the culmination of a long tradition of NAYD, which is National Association of Youth Drama, which laterally became Youth Theatre Ireland, organized a huge raft of, of, of drama and education conferences um, through the 90s and really brought, I think, 80s and 90s really brought drama and education to a huge number of Irish teachers as a result. And uh, so there was this big conference in UCC, Jonathan and Joe were going, and they insisted, it's myself, Jill Twait, um, Alice O'Grady, we all, we all came over. And Jonathan used myself and Molly. He was so kind of clever about it because we were the two people who lived on the island of Ireland. He used us as his TAs for his masterclass. And um, we had a great time, obviously, Cork, you know, big conference, all the, all the big names there. I, my eyes were just opened I don't think I slept for the entire week but I got back to Warwick and I got a phone call um from a man called Brendan Smith who and Brendan um Brendan V Smith Brendan Vincent Smith Brendan was was head of drama in, in Mary Macle College in Mary I at the time um he since Brendan sadly passed this year um, um but Brendan rang me up and he said he um he said he needed someone to do hours in the autumn and this was a huge shock to me because of course I had never considered, I, I was 20, 22 at the time, I had never really thought about lecturing or anything like that. Um, and um, would I consider faxing him my CV? We were still in the land of fax. So I faxed him my CV <laughs> and um, he rang me back and he said, yeah, he said, look, we, we can offer you whatever it was, enough hours per week. I think it was 15 or 18 hours a week teaching micro-teaching, teaching drama. I think I did a bit of Gwelga Garamul at the time as well. And that brought me up to my first Christmas in Mary Eye. And then in January um to 1999 I was given a full-time contract um and I've kind of been there ever since history was made <laughs> history is made through circumstance but again I can trace it all back to acts of generosity and kindness on the part of 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 teachers along the way you know it is interesting how you get to a place that you never imagined that you were going to go and I'd never set foot in I I, I never set foot in Limerick in my life before and, oh and and went went for three months work and 22 years later still here you know, married to a Limerick woman and monster supporter, the whole whole kit and caboodle, you know. Wow. It just shows, though, you just can't you can't plan things, uh, especially in, no. in, in this area in drama. You know, you have to go with the story. Exactly. Don't you? Exactly. You know, so and um, yeah. we've been talking about how, how lovely things are and how great drama is. And we all know that. Um, but what I would really like to know is um, what your conscience alley is like. Was there a time when it all went horribly wrong or, you know, a funny moment that happened. It doesn't have to be, you know, something horrific, but even something quite funny that can happen in the classroom or um, outside of that. Yeah, this, this, this was the hardest of your, of your questions, actually, because I thought to myself, <laughs> and actually my, my friend Peter Duffy, who's, uh, Peter is in, um, in North Carolina, Peter published a book a couple of years ago, which if any of your listeners are interested in some of these horror stories, it's, it's a collection of, of reflections from drama practitioners around the world on, on moments that went wrong and what we learned from them. Oh, right. I have a lot of these. I, I do a lot of stuff wrong and I get a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I try to live by Beckett's maxim that, you know, it's not about avoidance of failure, but to fail better, um, yeah. as it were. 
Um, I, I, I actually chose one from my very, from relatively early days, back in the same vein as, as, as that piece that I mentioned earlier on. And it was a drama education workshop with BED students again. No, I tell a lie. It was with graduate, graduate diploma in education students, which was the um, precursor to the PME. And I was doing um, a piece of story drama um, inspired by David Booth's work, but it was based around a, a, a picture book called Shaker Lane. And um, I chose this book because it has huge resonances with um, the traveling community in Ireland. And I really wanted to access some of that. Social justice is a huge theme in my work, and I really wanted to access some of the themes around, um, around migration, but also around um, itinerancy, um, you know, then people who are, are kind of transient communities. And Shaker Lane is about a transient community somewhere in the American Midwest. And the local town decides to move them on because it wants to build a reservoir. And it's a really potent book as a result of that, a really potent story because you, you know, you, I would come in and enroll as the mayor and you've got this script and it's written in legalese and then there's town meetings and so on and so forth. And of course, by their nature, the, many of the people who affects most badly are, are, are uh, most profoundly are, um, are not particularly literate. So it's, it's multifaceted. So I was, I was plowing into this one day in a, in a workshop with, with my grad dip students. And, um, and I just, I'd done the teacher, teacher enroll piece where I was issuing out the compulsory purchase orders. And the next thing, uh, a, a woman who, who was an older one um, just burst out in tears, literally sobbed out loud and ran out of the room. No. And um, I, I, I sent a classmate after her because I didn't want to abandon everyone else. I sent a classmate after her to check on her and she said, no, she's gone. She might be gone to the restaurant or whatever it might be. She might be gone home. And it was kind of before we had email contact directly with students. So it took me a while to track her down. I left a note on a board for her and eventually. And what had happened was that they were building the M7 at the, at the time, which is the motorway from Dublin to America. This woman lived somewhere, I think, in Offaly or Leash or something like that. And her home, her marital home where she, that she'd built her, her husband had just been CPO'd. Um, because they were putting the motorway right through there. And it was a huge moment even because I, I think it's one of those moments where you think, oh, you know, okay, we're here, we're teaching a book, we're, we're making believe, we're, we're playing. But this, this shit is real, excuse my language. You know, this, this is people's lives. This is, this, is, this is the stuff that's going on in homes around the country every night of the week. And it was just, it, it was just a moment that I, I think really grounded me and landed me in the reality of some of the kind of abstract teaching that we might do all the time. So it was a, a profoundly humbling moment. And a, and, a, and a moment I think back when I teach research methods now, I think back all the time to the importance of integrity in, in teaching and also in inquiry when we're trying to find out the answers to these questions. And it was a moment that taught me not to forget to have integrity in terms of how, how I taught things. Yeah, and I think, I mean, definitely when things go wrong, I saw a really great, um, exhibition in Trinity before about failure and about mm. the great things that can come from failure and, and this is a really good example of that something that that you've learned I wouldn't necessarily call it a failure I think like coming from that then did you put more scaffolded uh, like approaches into your into your practice then or how yeah, did you, how I, did yeah you? I did a little bit and I, I started thinking a lot about about content warnings and, and trigger warnings and stuff like that which obviously you know, has become a lot more profound now, particularly yeah. in kind of the work that I do now, where I might teach a play like 448 Psychosis or produce a play like 448 Psychosis, which has, you know, um, issues of, of, of self-harm and, and suicide and so on and so forth in it. And um, so it, it kind of it dragged me into that space, but also dragged me into, into the fact that, you know, drama can be so playful and gentle and warm and embracing, but also can be hurtful mm. and can be quite painful. Uh, and and to recognise, I suppose, the potency of it in some respects. Yeah, but it did. It definitely changed my practice, and it definitely made me more aware of 
you know, you taking on particularly social justice issues and issues of ethnicity or color or, or, or you know, or, or, or power even as well. But we just have to be careful about this work because it is powerful. Because you mentioned before as well, um, just a little bit earlier on about the, the power that we have as a as a teacher um, and how we can shape other people without knowing. And that is something I try and instill in, in my um, students, uh, that, that they can shape these these children and you just you don't know how things are being being perceived by other people and that's is you know when you were starting out in that job as a 22 year old with the the b-eds like you were pretty much one of them at the time age-wise you know how absolutely did you, how did you stand apart or how did you cope with that I, I, I think I was I was lucky in the sense that I was always and I think my family would attest to this I was always probably a little bit older than my age so I think I probably presented kind of older I, I, old soul. I, an old soul I definitely was an old soul I, I think in my in my mid 40s now I think I've kind of finally caught up with myself in some respects um, and probably hopefully my plan is to be a, a young soul for the rest of my days if I'm, if I'm <laughs> given them um, but yeah no I think I think I was quite serious and I think I was kind of quite full on about this stuff so I think that probably set me apart a little bit but there was it, 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 it there was an interesting sense of you know particularly teaching my first group of, of graduate diploma students and actually one of that class is now a man I work with he's a, a teacher Noel Lennon and he's a, a musical director as well Noel and I are very close friends and we work together Noel was in that class all the time and he, he has told me afterwards that like every single member of that class was older than me and had more life experience than me and I was I was not only teaching drama I was also teaching teaching studies so I was going in and talking about classroom management about methodology about planning about schemes about all of that kind of stuff as well so yeah look I think if I knew then what I know now I think I'm, I'm not sure if I would have taken myself seriously but look it, it, it also I think a couple of things I've taken from it is always you know just I, I think we don't trust young young people enough at times I think it's a societal ill you know that I, I was able to do that job at 20 and yes I made mistakes but I was able to make mistakes and learn from them mm-hmm. and the other thing was that that actually um you know planning is so important and, and just being prepared yourself and if you're prepared as a teacher and I think, again, most of your listeners will, will know this, regardless of whether they're primary, secondary, third level, early years teachers. Once you've done your work, that there's nothing more. Once, you know, on an intellectual level, on a conscientious level and the practical preparation, there isn't a whole lot more than you can do. You have to leave it in the lap of the gods after that. And that's very good advice. Mm. So this is something that I this is the question that I was uh dying to ask you because you know as I said you've got a very rich and very passionate uh biography like you can when I was reading your biography I was like hmm I can definitely see the passion flowing through here so Mm. this is my thought track question the future of drama Mm. (laughs) right Michael um so what should be next what should be next in the world of drama education I think we're at a really it's a it's a a really good question even and um I I I'll preface this by saying I'm inevitably going to get it wrong and, um, and, I, and I look forward to finding it out. I think we're at a really interesting moment. Um, we're obviously on the, on the cusp in terms of primary education, we're on the cusp of a new curriculum. Secondary education, we're on the cusp, I think, of a new senior cycle because I don't think, uh, you know, I, I, people can't, who are listening can't see me, but I've my fingers crossed on screen at the moment. I, I Hopefully we will be coming towards the end of high stakes assessment in terms of leaving cert and all, all the eggs being in one basket there. And my hope is that that will open up more space for um, for subjects like drama within 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 both junior cycle and senior cycle at second level. Um, so I think there's an interesting curricular space. I think we're in an interesting societal space. You know, we've got this profound um, creative turn happening in Ireland at the moment. Like everything, I, I had a huge fortune to be, um, I was on the arts and education 
charter group. So Jan O'Sullivan, when she was Minister for Education, appointed me to this high-level kind of government group to Im implement the, the Arts and Education Charter. And I served on that for about five years. And as a result of that, the Arts Council asked me to chair the design team for what was a REACH, um, and which has now become Creative Schools. So Arts Rich Irish Schools became Creative Schools, which um, I, I regret the loss of arts from the title, but I love the fact that it is now in so many schools around the country and is so well funded by Creative Ireland and so well run by the Arts Council. Um, and we've got creative partnerships, we've got creative clusters, we've got creative communities. So we've this incredible profound um, burst of creativity. Now, some of that needs probing and pulling apart, but it's, it, it, it's a moment in time nonetheless. Within the arts community, within the theatre community, if I can talk about our own people, there is also an incredible social turn going on where, you know, venues now, and I'm privileged to be on the boards of, of a number of professional arts organisations, and venues spend a lot of time talking about the communities that they're engaging with. They spend a lot of time talking about young people. They spend a lot of time talking about diversity, about inclusion, about things that professional arts um, makers in Ireland did not really talk so much about 25 or 30 years ago. And if you look at, if you look at what's happened in Ireland in the last 18 months, Every professional, not every, but a, a significant number of professional arts initiatives have had a real kind of change orientation associated with them um, and have had a kind of a social mission attached to them, which as drama educators is what we try to do, right? We, we try to use the arts in such a way to leverage positive educational change in the, in, in, in the hearts and minds of the young people we deal with. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, the bit I worry about is... I'm not sure that drama in our schools will look the same as it has looked for the last 20 years in the next 10 years. Um, and, and by that, I mean, I'm not sure whether there will be a kind of a time slot on, 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 on you know, on, on, on timetables marked drama. Um, and that's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Yeah. And you can you can probably hear my kind of pausing and reticence about that, because I think there's a huge loss of symbolism in that. I think there's a huge loss of recognition. I think there's a huge loss in status. And at the same time, you know, we've already touched on this in our conversation. I think we would all recognize through no fault of anyone's, in fact, through the, the absolute pain or to the pain of most of us who work in this field, you know, drama hasn't worked in every school. Um, so how do we square that circle? You know, how, how, do we, how do we move forward and not lose something that we hold very dear, which is equality with our fellow sister and brother subjects in schools? And at the same time, change up what it is that we have in our schools um, that isn't working. I think that's something I don't have an answer to. But uh, what I think will be there in a number of years, I think will be a much more, I think it'll be a drama that has a much more uh, probably profound orientation toward play, which is there and it's at the heart of, 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 of drama in some respects, but I think it, it, there'll be a lot more kind of playful rhetoric and dialogue around it. I think words like imagination and creativity, which after you use really carefully, will be a lot more present than they have been in the past. I think the drama conventions, techniques, methodologies that we love, that we hold so dear, and around which your podcast is so artfully presented, I think they will survive because they work. And teachers who use them know that they work and they work in language learning, they work in maths, they work in science and so on and so forth. Will they fall part as part of the drama umbrella? I'm not sure. And I think the other thing that we will see is I think we will see more engagement. Um, and this is already happening out, from outside of classrooms with artists, with parents, with uh, members of the community um, and with, with you know, artistic organisations being part of the arts education that's provided in schools. That's all very speculative. 
will it be any better than what has come before? I hope so, but I'm not sure. Um, because I still think we have this societal piece to figure out, which is, as Irish people, do we value the arts enough to give them a privileged and important space in the lives of our young people and give them their weight and worth in terms of how we assess our young people's progress in the world? And, and are we willing to put our hands in our pockets and invest in the arts for young people and for education? And they're bigger questions and I'm not sure we're ready to answer them yet. Yeah, like definitely when you were talking about that, there a tight knot was woven in my stomach because I know that place that drama has uh, fought its way into in the primary school system is definitely teetering on an edge now. And I think um, it, it's just, it is a bit sad, you know, uh, for It for is, and, 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 and look, I was, I was, I was part of the, 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 the group at the time. I remember having huge debates with Carmel around it because I wrote my master's thesis on the 99 curriculum and Carmel had just got her lectureship in Trinity. And, and um, we can say this 20 years later, Carmel, if you're listening, but Carmel got me a, a, an advanced copy of the curriculum. And so I, I in, in the summer of 98, I, I wrote my master's dissertation on, 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 on it. And I, I, was, I have quite a, a critical mind. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a person who criticizes you know, and it's important to differentiate between those things. But I am critical in the sense that I like to pull stuff apart because I firmly believe that part of our intellectual uh, challenge as university educators and teacher educators is to understand how stuff works so we can we can we can do it better. And I remember Carmel kind of go, no, 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 don't be critical of it and don't be given out about it because and I not hope I'm not misrepresenting you, Carmel, and saying that. And because you know we fought so hard for this, and I said I know, but we have to also make it better. So you know that tension is there all the time, isn't it? That you know how do we hang on to what we have and improve it at the same time so it, it would be a sad day and it would be a loss if 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 anything like that were to happen and and you know i i have great faith i i, I was on the ncca um board for early childhood and, and primary for for many many years i know arlene foster the new um the new ceo quite well and and i know many of the education officers and they're you know what i would say about the ncca teams in, in all my years dealing with them, they are passionate educators no more than ourselves who will want the best for the young people in our schools. And, and really, really, really open. I have to say, I've always found the NCCA a very warm house for the arts. So hopefully um, hopefully, what will come out as a result of their wisdom and their consultation will, will be better for us all. Let's go back really quickly um, to your founding of, uh, so you're, you're, you're a department founder. Um, which is a very cool twice over, twice over, twice, twice over. over. Yeah. And let's yeah. just go back quickly to that because it's just sparking something off in my mind that you know you saw a, a niche or a need and decided to fill it. And maybe mm. you know that's that is the way for it because if you're critically analyzing things and you see where the gaps need to be filled up. So how how did that come about? Well, a couple of things happened, and thank you for asking this question because it's really important. I think for me, in terms of understanding myself now, really more than nothing else, a couple of things happened. We were beginning, a, a, you know, so again, some of your listeners, I'm sure, will be graduates of Mary I. Many, many people, no more than yourself, have visited over the years through conferences and so on. Um, about 15 years ago, we were beginning a process of campus redevelopment. I was, I was, um, you know, uh, Professor Pather Kremen, who sadly since passed, was, was president at the time, and Pather um, asked for ideas. What should be in this master plan? And I was a theatre practitioner in Limerick at the time, as well as obviously being teaching drama day in, day out. Um, and I wanted better facilities for our students, but I also recognised that we needed, we, at the time we had a 300 seat theatre, um, the bell table, which is now 220 and still alive. And then we had a 1000 seat concert hall, but nothing in between. So I was always really frustrated that 
you know, Rough Magic or Druid or, or the Abbey. And not, that we never saw that stuff in Limerick because there was no venue that could house it. I was also really frustrated that my own students and we had started doing musicals and plays and so on and so forth and um, weren't getting a chance to perform in a, in a big stage. So I said, well, let's build a big cultural space and let's make that the, the you know, the, the um, I suppose, the heart of the campus. And Pather was very, very open to that. And um, he died soon after the Lime Tree opened. But, you know, that was what, what became the Lime Tree Theatre. And we now have this incredible 510 seats um, proscenium arts theatre we also run the bell table which is the 220 seat box off or um, black box sort of flexible space in the city centre wonderful team you know where the arts council give us glowing reports all the time and so on and so forth so that you know that and that occupied a, a huge part of my life for about five years getting all of that kind of happening and, and going and 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 I suppose having the conversations I, I it wasn't that I had the checkbook far from it but I always saw myself as the person who had to instigate the conversations about what this might be and how might it run within a, a quite a traditional organisation like Mary Michael College. After that, then we, we had a new presidency um, and Professor Michael Hayes, who I, I seem everyone I mentioned, all of these influential uh, people seem unfortunate to have passed away. But Michael passed a number of years ago as well, very unexpectedly. And Michael was president and he and I had a conversation about eight o'clock one night in the main reception of the college. And he said to me, he said, what are your plans for drama? And after you've got the Lime Tree, it's a big success. And I said, I said, we need to bridge the gap between the college and the theatre now. I said, we need a drama programme. And I said, but not, not, a, not, a, not a performing arts programme. It needs to be a different programme. It needs to be a programme where we can educate uh, socially minded artists. And that was always my vision, even, was that I'd set up a BA where after years of working to educate artistically minded teachers, I suppose I, I felt the need to to just change tack. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who likes to have different challenges and different things going on in my life. And, and the, the, the BA CATS as it is now, so it's a BA in Contemporary and Applied Theatre Studies, is a programme that un, un, unashamedly has um, a focus on, on socially minded theatre, uh, theatre that speaks to us, that makes a difference, that changes lives, theatre that's driven by ensemble. So it's all about the collective, um, which again, all of your listeners will, will know is a drama education principle. It's about the, the ensemble as opposed to the virtuosic or the individualistic. And theatre that is about contemporary issues, that it's about, um, you know, it's about what's happening here and now. So we're much more interested in, in you know, um, what Helium Arts might do than we might be interested in, in, in Twelfth Night. Not that Twelfth Night hasn't a place, but our orientation is much more towards socially minded, really engaged practice as it happens around Ireland. And we've graduated, I'm incredibly proud of it, we've graduated three cohorts, we're about to graduate our third cohort. And all of these, like I just got an email this morning that lifted my, my heart. So um, the Arts Council are after funding the, the two youth theatres in Limerick, County Limerick Youth Theatre and Limerick Youth Theatre to run a big programme of devised work over the summer, which will be performed in various spaces and also filmed and streamed. And they're employing eight artists, four directors and four stage managers, and every single one of those eight artists are graduates of mine in the last five years. Wow. And, and I just read that. And I'm sorry, that sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet. But it's, I, I thought to myself, OK, yeah, we're, 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 we're not quite there, but we're, we're moving in the direction that we want to move, which is, mm. you know, educating artists whose passion, whose desire, whose art is working with young people. Mm. And, you know, so it's running in, in tandem with the, the B.Ed programme as well. Like you, you can do... Yeah, so Mary, no, so Mary I has about, we, I think we have 14 undergrads now, 14 undergrad programs. So um, so it's a separate, so we, you can do the BA CATS, you can, which is single honours drama all the way through for four years. You can do a BA and you can do drama with media or French or philosophy or psychology or whatever it might be. And and then obviously you can do your BA and you can do a drama education specialism within that. And um, Dorothy Morrissey um, 
would be the and Margaret O'Keefe would be the people who who contribute to the drama education side of things as well. So we're a separate department and we run the the two degree programs in drama. And that was definitely a challenge, I'd say, to set up because Mary I would be notoriously quite traditional. Um, yeah. When I was when I was going college uh that's what what we would have thought about it Uh, but now like it definitely has a different um look to it and i think this is yeah it it has been a shake up and it's not been easy you know there's um i spend a lot of my time still making the case and and you know drama is never going to be the most financially (laughs) you know uh, shall we say lucrative um, exploit in the world and uh you know, so it costs money to, to educate educate artists and to do it well, and um, and and I have to I have to rock up and I have to make that case time and time and time again. And but I, I always dreamed that we have an MA program called Meta, which is an MA which I set up when I was head of arts education, and Dorothy runs it now. It's an MA in education and the arts, and again, it's it, you know the same principle applies. So Meta was always set up for um, teachers with a passion in the arts and for artists with a passion in education. You know that this notion of of kind of partnership and not one-sided partnership not where an artist comes into a classroom and says we're doing a play and I'm leading it but you know where there's an art a meeting of equals um and where there's a true collaboration between a professional educator and a professional artist and what can happen and this is in a roundabout way going back to your previous question about what's the future um I think that's part of the future and I suppose that's that's where I find myself right now um in terms of hopefully beginning to educate a generation of, of artists who will change what our venues and what our production companies hold to be important. And that brings me nicely along to our spotlight on quick fire round. Uh, I, I feel like you're going to be on fire here, Michael. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I love your confidence. Thank you. <laughs> so what is your why? Why do you do it? Why should mm-hmm. anyone do it? And can you sum it up in three sentences? I found this really hard to answer, but I will, I will try. Um, <clears throat> My why is a passion, um, and that might sound very esoteric. Um, I feel passionate that all this, the children, the young people of our society should have the opportunity to play and to imagine, uh, to imagine worlds other than the one in which they currently inhabit. And I think that journey of imagination makes them powerful. And I think being powerful is probably the greatest educative gift that we can give any young person in this world, powerful about themselves and their own journey. So it's my passion to make people powerful is, is, is why. Oh, I really like that. That's nice. You should put that in your bio now, Michael. <laughs> but it's only, you know, part of my frustration is that sometimes you could say this stuff, but you know, if I sit at a, a management meeting or I sit at a funding meeting and say this thing, they kind of look at me as if I've seven heads. You know, I know, but, yeah. you know, but it is yeah, though, kind see, of, this this field that we're in is a passionate field and it comes from, you know, it's a fire in our belly. Yeah, it really you're, is. Look at you, you're up at you know all sorts of hours in the morning talking to people back in Ireland, driven by passion, <laughs> you know. Oh, this is the most indulgent gig I've ever had, I have to say. I just love it. I love talking to people about about this subject. So our next question in our spotlight on quick fire round. One drama strategy, Jonathan Nealon, how are you? Um, or technique that you always go to? This is this is one little bit one from left field because I'm not sure if it is a strategy. I'm, I, it's it, it, I don't think it appears in structuring drama work, but it's one I've I've increasingly used. And by the way, you know the BA Cats, the the the, the applied theatre program that I run. And um, here's the big secret: the workshops, all the teaching on it is essentially drama education work. So that's how we teach all of us. You know, so we teach. 
Chekhov or we teach theater history, we, we tend to do it through process drama, drama and education approaches a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, let's subvert the world from within is my, is my thinking. I, in my workshops, um, and I don't get to do as many now as I used to once upon a time, I love transitions um, because I find images, still images, which we tend to use a lot because obviously they're really good at capturing a little moment or translating a piece of text into physical form or slowing something down. So images and freezing hot seats or freezing you know, pictures in rooms are great. Um, but I love setting participants the challenge of transitioning that into the next picture because it's akin actually it's funny the, the the other kind of big job i had to do today was i, I chaired the board of dance limerick which is a contemporary um dance uh, organization here in limerick so i spent the morning with um, a group of of, of dance artists cool. uh, and and this is probably indicative of my interest in movement and body and reunifying all of these things but setting children young people participants the challenge of transitioning from an image into an other image or from a moment into another moment I feel releases and reveals so much more, particularly when you do it over and over and over again and you get them to layer, you get them to look, you get them to observe, you get them to think, you get them to move. And, and it, it, in, it secretly invites artistry into the conversation, which of course is that word that people are so scared of a lot of the time. You know, let, let, let's do something artistic. I would never say that to a particular group of, of, of student teachers who are new to the work, mm. but it, you know, because the idea of transition is so vague in some respects, and you, you re replay it over and over again, inevitably it becomes a moment of fancy and a moment of delight in the midst of, of a very concrete kind of process. That's funny now, you've definitely, uh, you've triggered one of my first memories of drama there because I uh, went to the Gormanstown Summer School when I mm. was a teenager to roll. One of my regrets is that I never I never got there. I was, you know, they, I, I found out about them too late probably, you know. Yeah, Rowan Tully was the mime um, uh, teacher there at the time and mm. Our workshop was on, well, in hindsight, it was on transition. So we, we did a lot of that between between the, the mime still images. And it was that kind of, and that's how the story actually developed was, was through these beautiful transitions. And uh, I, I just remember that it was being really, really um, strong at the time. And he was, he was a great teacher, actually. I don't know if you've ever come across him. Yeah, I, I know the name. I, I've never had the, the, the privilege of meeting him. Yeah. Brilliant. So our next, uh, and this is a good one, I think, uh, our next quick fire spotlight question. Um, mm. One piece of advice for other drama practitioners, and these can be new drama practitioners, which I know you do deal with a lot of new teachers, but it can also be for the people who've been at it for a very long time as well. Yeah, again, this is this was one, um, I think it's a compliment to you that, that some of your questions gave me pause for thought. Um, I, I think it's I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, even I won't lie to you, but it's the notion of being brave, um, I, I, in my first class, I, I, um, I, I, I spent the summer in the States after I finished my B.Ed. and I came home and applied for all the jobs in the, the newspaper, the Irish Independent the next day and got called for an interview in, in the Oblitz and um, uh, Iggy Keane was the principal and, and uh, you know, got the, got the interview and he rang me at the weekend and I said, oh, Mr. Keane, I'm delighted. What, what class am I going to be teaching? And he said, you're going to be teaching middle infants. Uh, middle infants was um, something that doesn't exist anymore, but there was a three-year infant cycle in the school at the time because um, Inchicore in the in the mid late nineties would have been kind of the heart of probably the 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 the, the epon, uh, sorry the heroin epidemic in Dublin at the time, and so St Michael's Estate, and it was tough. It was tough. Like our, I put it like this, our caretaker was 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 unfortunately wounded uh, in a shooting in the yard one day, and and it was you know you pick up syringes every morning and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not trying to that that sounds 
terrible and anyone who knows that school knows that it's an incredibly well-run school and all the rest of it and I love in Shakur and I still go back there all the time but Iggy told me I was teaching infants so we had a three-year infant cycle I think to make up for the deficit there was no preschool there was no early years work at the time and, and to give them a bit longer in infant cycle before they got into kind of the more formal learning shall we say of first and second so I had the middle class there I was clueless. I won't lie to you. I was absolutely clueless. I, I, you know, at the time we didn't have to do an infant TP in Pats. So I had never done an infant class on, on, on teaching practice on school placement. Um, and if it wasn't for my mom at the weekends kind of saying, you can do this and this and this and this and this, but I ran hard at drama and, and most of it was just kind of structured play um, and so on and so forth. And I, I came up with an idea from a book one day um, and I taped a couple of tables together and covered it in green chalk paper and we built a farm and I realised that I was from a farm. These kids had never been to a farm. So this is a place I could take them. Um, and I, and I, I remember one day we, we were going for a walk and I, I, I got them to stand around and hold their hands and we jumped into the farm and that involved me getting up on the table at just the very moment that Mr. Keane came through the door and he just kind of looked at me you know, what am I after hiring? What kind of a latchico is this young fellow? And so on and so forth. And I suppose I've always I've always been probably a little bit foolhardy in terms of doing stuff. And I think all the things I've I've managed to do and and have have been because I've been a bit brave. I've also failed at lots of stuff because I've been a bit brave. So it's a double-edged sword. But I think if you stay in your safe zone as a teacher, you never progress. You never get the knocks and you don't sit at home at the evening kind of going, oh my God, I'm useless. But equally, you never have those soaring moments. Um, so it's it's to be brave, simple as. I like that. I think that's a good advice for anybody at any at any stage of their career as well, starting out. Or because sometimes you do need that little bit of a boost of bravery because people, as they settle into their career, get very comfortable as well. And I think I don't think you should ever be comfortable. Um, I don't think you should. And, and look, you know, we, we all know that life gets in the way and things get in the way and, and work gets in the way and stuff like that as well. And, and it, I'm not going to talk about always big moments of bravery. Sometimes it's small moments of bravery. Sometimes it's just shifting yourself out of your comfort zone. And um, and it can be a very modest thing, but it's enough to keep that intellectual curiosity alive in us as teachers, as educators, which the, mo- the moment I think we stop being curious, we're we're we're. We're, we're just clocking it in aren't we really you know? box ticking exactly mm. Michael it was absolutely lovely speaking to you today I feel like we could speak for the entire day um, it's, early, it's early in the morning here so I have time but I think it's uh, later in the evening for you so yes, perhaps yes. not well, <laughs> when you get back to Ireland we'll, 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 we'll continue the conversation over a coffee or over a glass of wine at some stage so we'll exactly we'll reconvene so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and it's especially lovely to have you seeing as you were one of those original members of the ADEI um, so as you said we've come full circle um, and I really hope that uh, we can carry on this conversation as I think that that's the only way to keep things alive keep things interesting and keep things passionate um, so thank you so much for coming on and uh, thanks, best Ian, of luck. thanks for the invitation and thanks for all your good work thank you for listening to hot seating the drama education podcast brought to you by the association of drama in education in Ireland If you enjoyed the conversation today, please tell a friend or two, like and subscribe to hear further conversations.